from WXOJLP Northampton, 103.3 FM, your Valley Free Radio Station. Welcome. I'm Warren Odestulet, and this is A Baha'i Perspective. Welcome to A Baha'i Perspective. I recorded an interview with Leona Hosack on October 20th, 2014. Leona is a musician and an author. She has recently written and illustrated two children's books. One is a picture book titled Kamal's Day that has just been produced by the U.S. Baha'i Publishing Trust and is available on www.baha'ibookstore.com. The other is a book titled Babysitter Blues, for older children of junior youth age, which was also produced as an e-book by One Voice Press last year and made available through Amazon.com. We talk about these works and her music in the interview. I started the interview by asking Leona where she grew up and what was it like growing up there. I grew up in western Massachusetts, in um, Greenfield, actually, uh, not far from Amherst and the famous UMass had a, a very a kind of regular upbringing, but in school, there was, for me anyway, there was a lot of emphasis on the arts and music, which is great because that's what I was really into even early on. Mm. I about to draw at a very early age. And when I was 12, I was, that was, my dream was to be a um, children's book writer and illustrator, and maybe even earlier than that. So you said your religious life growing up was secular? My father was, was Catholic and then married my mother who had been divorced. And she was Protestant. And so I was brought up Protestant, sang in choirs in church and enjoyed church and then learned about the high faith when I was 17. And my parents were very supportive in letting me declare myself as a Baha'i. How did you find out about the Baha'i faith? I um, actually was attending a um, music, folk music session called the Hoot Nanny, we used to call them Hoot Nanny, at a Unitarian church. And I wasn't attending Unitarian church, but I had a lot of friends that did. The first mention I ever heard of the Baha'i faith was uh, a young girl, a little younger than me, I was 17 at the time, she probably was like 15, she sang one of the Baha'i prayers, which is called the Hollow Reed Prayer. Um, had been set to music, and she played it on, on the guitar. And it was just so beautiful, the music as well as the words that really touched me. I became a Baha'i just a few months later. So would you suffer us to hear you sing it for us? Oh, try. All right, that'd wow. be great. Yeah. Oh, God, make me a Halloween. From which the pits of self have been blown, that I may become a clear channel through which thy love may flow to others. Beautiful. So that really moved you, huh? It did. And she became a, a, a lifetime friend also, which is be great. So what was it about the Baha'i faith that attracted you to it? 
shortly after I heard this prayer, another friend invited me to go to um, what was called fireside chats at the home of the local Baha'i. And the first things that impressed me about the Baha'i faith and the Baha'is was I was still a kid and I was surrounded by adults that were talking freely and openly about God. And I hadn't had that experience before. It was just a very confirming thing. At these meetings, we were free to ask questions and just investigate and have our own opinions, but also learn about some of the uh, teachings of Baha'u'llah, the founder of the Baha'i Faith, and also just talk freely about God, which just impressed me so much. In my upbringing, talking about God was really just didn't happen in my home in any way in particular, and was something that we did in church, which was fine, but this had some some meaning for me. One of the most important teachings, I think, that that affected me in the beginning was the teaching of unity, and that God sends into this world different teachers, manifestations throughout the ages to teach mankind about God's latest ideas that will help us to become a better humanity. I also liked that I was treated as an adult, in a way. It was kind of my first experience with that, too. Well, I was in a youth group in my church, too, and that was a really similar experience. But it was just so nice to meet people of a different faith, and my parents were so supportive of it. That's interesting. Why do you think your parents were supportive? Good question. (laughs) Actually, my father a little more than my mother. Not that she um, resisted or anything, but he specifically said to me, if this is something you want, then you go go ahead. And it kind of surprised me because we had always just been attending the Protestant church. I think maybe one reason for it was was that my father had um, grown up Catholic and there were a lot of restrictions when he married someone of a different faith, and he had to go through some changes with that. So I think maybe because of that, he respected my interest in another religion and in choosing for myself, which I always really appreciated. And actually put a little bit of that, this is a segue, a little bit of that into my book, Babysitter Blues, because in that story, the boy... He's young, and he's not a Baha'i, and he learns about the Baha'i faith. through a friend at school. His father, who is no longer in his life, had been, a, you know, had been Christian, and his mother, was, his family was Christian. And so he's, in, throughout the book, he kind of plays with the, the Baha'i ideas and Christian ideas and how to kind of pull that together. When you write, you tend to write a little autobiographically, even if it's fiction, I always felt that when I became a Baha'i, I didn't stop being Christian, although for all intents and purposes, I didn't attend church anymore, but I never felt that being a Baha'i denied anything in my own mind in terms of uh, loving Jesus. Because as as a Baha'i, we are uh, taught to embrace all of the teachings of the manifestation, all the manifestations of God, Jesus, Moses, Muhammad, because they all come from the same source. And I never felt any difference. I just, just felt like walking from one, one room into another room when I changed from uh, being Christian to being a Baha'i. Now, in addition to writing, music was an important part growing up as well? Yes. 
you know, I started uh, playing guitar at, at 16, and you know, I started writing songs at that time, too. Not long after, probably, started putting some of the Baha'i writings to music, and uh, I've always enjoyed doing that. Mm. And I always enjoyed sharing that with the meetings of the, with the Baha'is and other places, too. Actually, throughout the years, I've played in a lot of churches, played some uh, Baha'i uh, writings such to music and hymns and things that were always favorites of mine. always enjoyed that and, and been glad that I've been able to do um be a musician that's, that's able to sometimes share the Baha'i writings that also celebrate some of the most beautiful, beautiful music from the Christian tradition and Jewish tradition. I've been able to play some of that type of music as well. What did you do after high school, Leona? I went to a, a local college for two years in Greenfield, Massachusetts, and majored in fine arts and continued to do music as well. I've always done both. I've always both been very dear to me. Then I took a year off and just worked and lived at home. And then I went to the two or three hours away in southern Massachusetts. I went to what was then known as Southeastern Massachusetts University, but is now part of UMass. So it's UMass at Dartmouth. And I'm, I majored in illustration and children's books and visual design there. And there, it was interesting, I was surrounded by a lot of folk traditions, um, musical and art-wise. I learned scrimshaw, which is a, an old craft where you um, create jewelry out of whalebone. I learned calligraphy, a few other things. And now, years later, I do silhouettes, which is very interesting. It's also a traditional type of craft. But at this school, UMass at Dartmouth, they had musical events, which are patterned after musical events that they have in Ireland and Scotland called Ice Bedford and Cayley. And a lot of Irish-type music being played, a lot of just folk music. I just loved it. I learned to play the dulcimer. At that time, I learned to play the banjo also. I already had played guitar. And so after you mastered Dartmouth, what happened? I was out of school for a year or so. I moved back home to Western Mass for just a short while and then moved to Connecticut. Stayed with some Baha'i friends there. What drew you to Connecticut? Uh, well, I had some Baha'i friends there. Actually, the girl that taught me to say <laughs> the girl that sang that song, is Shelley Rothman. Their family invited me to come in and live with them for a while while I just checked out places to work. I was interested in graphic-related jobs. And I did get offered a job that would keep me at my parents' house, and I was ready to fly away and Hmm. (laughs) ready to move elsewhere. So I thought I'd give that a try. I ended up in Connecticut. And just for less than a year before I met my husband Larry, moved from the Hartford area in Connecticut down to southern Connecticut, New Canaan, near Sanford and Greenwich and all of that area. I had moved down to get to know Larry better, and we got married shortly after in 1978. And he was working at a music store um, as a manager and also teaching guitar, and I ended up teaching guitar there. Uh, I ended up teaching guitar there for nine years. In, in this store, which was really fun. I loved it. And Larry and I started singing together. 
50 years later, we had started having children. So I worked mostly teaching guitar, raising my kids, and I did a lot of freelance calligraphy and illustration jobs, whatever came my way, and very involved in the high community that we were able to play music at. And actually, Larry and I were, were asked quite often to do musical firesides in different different places, different people's homes, and we traveled around New England a bit to do that from time to time. When we were living in Connecticut, we had been visiting. We didn't go every year, but as much as we could in the summers, we went to visit Green Acre, the high school, which is a wonderful school and retreat center for not only Baha'is, but other people as well can attend. And we would go in the summers. Um, at the time, they had mostly to summer programs and didn't have much going on in the winter, which has changed now. We came in the summer, late summer of 1987 to Green Acre for a week program. And they also had children's programs going on. We had our kids with us, a boy and a girl, Anissa and Greg. We were there for a week, and in the middle of the week, Larry was talking to the wife of the director at the time, and she told him about a job opportunity working at a nursing home, which he had been doing down in Connecticut, working at nursing homes. He was the activities director. She told him there was a position open nearby in Portsmouth, New Hampshire. During our week here, we were staying in the campground. He didn't have any fancy clothes or uh, resume or anything with him, but he went and applied for the job and got it. Two weeks later, we moved to Maine. We ended up moving into South Berwick, Maine, because we wanted to move into the town where Green Acre is, but we found a place in the next town over. Mm-hmm. And we lived there for quite a while. Now, it's funny, now we live right at the end of the driveway, the main driveway that leads to Green Acre the High School. So during your time in Connecticut, were you able to do any of your writing or illust- you mentioned illust- you did some freelance illustrating were you able to do any writing while you were in Connecticut I think I've always had stories in my head and story ideas while I was there I did a lot of um, teaching adult ed classes I taught calligraphy and guitar classes and I took some illustration classes again even though I'd already had a degree in illustration I kept my hand in and I wrote down ideas for picture books and things like that. But I didn't get into really writing novel-type stories until more recently. And never really pictured that I would, but now I have. <laughs> and I'm keeping on in that vein. I have several other novels in the works at the moment. <laughs> but at the time, I had my own children. Just before we moved to Maine, Larry and I had started to write and I had done some of this earlier, but we started to write children's songs specifically. We were just very excited to, to, to get inspired by our own children. So we wrote a lot of songs for kids. So when we moved to Maine for the next couple of years, we performed a lot of children's music in, in the area. To me, writing is writing, whether you're writing a song or you're writing a story or you're writing a novel or whatever, it's writing. It's been kind of a natural thing for me to move to different forms of writing, although I still never really thought that I would write anything like a, a novel or a middle reader, although I always wanted to, but I never really thought I would, because I was mostly a songwriter. You had illustrated a book called Willie and the Number Three Door? 
Yes. So could you tell me about the story and your and, and your yeah. illustration and so on? While we were still in Connecticut, I had been somehow connected to, um, uh, it was a national high children's magazine at the time called Child's Way, and now it's called Brilliant Star. And I did quite a few illustrations for them when I was still in Connecticut. Shortly after we moved to Maine, I was asked by the National Baha'i Publishing Trust to illustrate the story you mentioned, um, William and Number Three Door, which was written by Adrian Reeves, another Baha'i. And they just supplied me with the story, and I worked on the illustrations, sent them to the editor at the time, and she sent them back with corrections, and we went back and forth, but that can't remember now how many, maybe 14 illustrations all black and white because it was the story was intended for what's known as middle school readers, which is like age eight, nine, up to through middle school, middle school age, twelve, thirteen. And William and Number Three Door is about a little boy who has some fears about different kind of rumors that he's heard about school, which are not true, and <laughs> and really about learning about investigating the truth for yourself. A very nice story. It's still in print, I think. You could probably order that at the www.bahaibookstore.com. The picture book that I just recently completed is um, available there also. Okay, and we'll get to that shortly. Is your first published, written, and illustrated work called Kamal's Day? Yes. Can you tell me about that? I have been a member of the Spirit of Children for about 16 years. This is a, a group of Baha'i friends who, in the beginning, we just got together to share our love for children's books and our desire to produce quality children's books for Baha'i children, but for everyone also, but specifically for Baha'i children. At the time, now we've uh, expanded a little more and are thinking towards all types of children. All types of children should learn about all types of religions and all types of traditions. So this this group has become um, a task force that has produced every year at Green Acre High School in Elliott, Maine, a workshop, a week-long workshop for people that are interested in producing materials for children. And we've also created programming during that week that supports whatever new types of guidance or information that comes from the Universal House of Justice, which is the governing body, which is actually in Israel, which is the Holy Land for many religions, but also for the Baha'i faith. We call ourselves spirited children, but, but many times the conference is more, specific, more generally about the arts, creating published works, whether it's music or artwork or cards, reading cards, or books, stories, and, and whatever. During one of those conferences, four or five years ago, uh, an editor from the U.S. Baha'i Publishing Trust named Terry Cassidy, um, who has since passed away, she came and gave a talk at our conference. Actually, she had come publicly the year before also, but this particular year, she's very, very generous with her time and said that she would meet with people that had ideas that they would like to present to the publishing trust. So I took advantage of that and shared an idea 
that I had, and she was very patient because I had just scribbled it out. <laughs> I didn't have it in any formal form. I didn't have it in a dummy, which is a like a fake picture book that usually you would present a picture book idea in something that kind of looks like the picture book in sketch form. And I didn't even have that. I just had the half-scribbled pictures and half-scribbled handwritten text. It was terrible, but she was so nice and so patient about it. She took the uh, the uh, sketches that I gave her with her, and I didn't hear back for a few months. And then I heard back, and they were interested in producing my book. At the time, I... I called it the time book because I couldn't think of what else <laughs> what else to call it. What it was about was I wanted it to be like the old clock books. I don't know if they make these much anymore. Uh, when I was a kid, we had children's books with a clock on every page. And it would say, it was like a day in the life of a child. And 7 o'clock, time to wake up. Uh, 8 o'clock, time for breakfast. 9 o'clock, go to school. Whatever you do at school throughout the day. I wanted this to be a day in the life of a Baha'i child who was also uh, incorporating into his life what Baha'is refer to as the core activities, which are basically activities that, that help us create community. Not create community, but enhance our community and help people come together. And also, uh, very important in terms of incorporating children into our community. So there are different core activities, one being children's classes, another being study classes that the adults are attending on all types of subjects. Another core activity um, is to um, visit friends in their homes and share with them some of the the high teachings if, if they wish to hear about it and things like that. And in this book, this little boy starts out in the morning, wakes up, Seven o'clock, seven o'clock time for prayers. And he says prayers with his mother. And there's a little, little quote, uh, a couple of um, bits of prayers there. Simplified, not the whole prayer, but just simplified. Because this is intended for children maybe ages three to five or six. Then he goes to a children's class and does an activity. He makes actually makes a serving tray out of a, a, meat, a foam, meat foam container tray and decoupages it and the, actually the directions for how to do that are included in the back of the book. He then goes home, prepares lunch with his mother and takes lunch over to their neighbor and he shares with the neighbor uh, a prayer in Spanish and he gives her the tray that he made of generosity and in the afternoon he um plays with some friends. One of his friends falls down and gets hurt, and he says a prayer quietly to himself for his friend, uh, a healing prayer. And in the after, later on, he rests in his, uh, his father's bedroom while his father sends his prayers, things like that. And in the evening, his parents have a study class, and he has made granola bars to share with them. Actually, the parents are taking a class called that focuses on teaching children or incorporating children into the community. So he's the child in the, in the family, so he, they let him stay up for it, and he shares his granola bars, and there's a recipe for the granola bars in the back of the book. I wanted the book to be fun and be something that uh, actually children's classes could use, 
And also I wanted it to be something that would explain to children what types of meetings these are and what types of activities these are. Because a lot of times children go to an activity or a meeting with their parents and they don't really know what it's about. So that was my purpose in, in creating that book. Uh, why don't we talk about your next work, which is Babysitter Blues. Why don't you tell me a, about that one? Babysitter Blues came into being sort of on the tail end of my working on uh, Kamal Day. I heard a, heard actually, I, I saw on, uh, online, actually, a call for submissions from a smaller Baha'i publishing company called One Voice Press. This is a company out of Essex, Maryland. They were looking for people to submit stories and poems and uh, even illustrators to submit their work. And I wrote to them and asked if they were interested in children's stories or picture books, and they weren't interested in picture books. But they said they would be interested in seeing a uh, story for middle readers or for older readers. And that's when I thought of Babysitter Blues. I didn't have it ahead of time. I hadn't even thought of it. It just came into being because <laughs> I learned that they were interested in that age group. And that, that's an age group I've, I've always, that's what I like to read, actually, that age group. I enjoy reading stories with that age group. That sounds a little funny. But I always have, and for young adults, it's just my favorite reading just for, for fun, <laughs> for me. And actually, kind of inspired by a friend of my son. Um, my youngest son is now 22. And he had a friend when he was in high school who was a teenager and his mother had like three younger kids who were like all under the age of five from a different father than him. And there were many times when he had to stay home and babysit for these kids while his mother went out and worked. So that's kind of where this basic idea came from. So it's called Babysitter Blues, and the main character in the story's name is Evan, and he's 14 going on 15, and he is saddled with taking care of three younger siblings who have a different father than him, and his, his mother is working and going to school, nursing school, and he has been asked to babysit more than he's already been babysitting. And he hates it, and he's not happy. Um, and one thing about Evan, his name is Evan, is that he likes to make up rhymes. And he's very good at English. He likes writing. That's a little bit patterned after my husband, Larry, and also my son, Adam, who they like to make up things on the spot, make up rhymes on the spot, make up poetry on the spot, make up songs on the spot. And... So uh, that went into this character. He uses his ability to make up a poem on the spot to get his uh, little brothers and sister to do things that he needs them to do, like get ready for bed, brush your teeth, and go to bed. <laughs> he learns about the Baha'i faith. Like I said, he's not a Baha'i, but he learns about it from a friend at school who invites him to bring his siblings to a children's class. And it's interesting, the cork core activities, as we refer to them, is prevalent in this book also, <laughs> in a different way. Actually, first time um, meeting the Baha'is, he brings his little sister and twin brothers on a hike with some of the local Baha'is, 
he meets the brother of this girl who mentions the faith to him for the first time. And the brother had lost his wife at a young age. And Evan had lost his father. Both of them lost their loved ones to cancer. Evan had lost his father when he was five. And so he gets to talk to this young man about death a little bit. So, and it makes it sound like the, the story is very a downer, but it's not. <laughs> That's one of the reasons I wanted him to be doing rhymes and, and have fun with making up rhymes for, to entertain the children that he comes in contact with in the story. Because it does deal with the idea of losing a father and does deal with the idea of divorce. But it also is, I think, fun and enjoyable to read. And I've had some good reviews on it. I can read a little bit of it if you'd like. That would be great. One little bit I'm going to read follows when he's just been told, towards the beginning of the book, he's just been told by his mother that she's entering nursing school and she's asking him to babysit more than he has already been. And he's really kind of mad about it. He's stomping around the, the kitchen. Evan went to the refrigerator and pulled out a bottle of green tea to take up to his room. He closed the fridge door hard. As he did, a piece of paper with little kid handwriting on it fell to the floor. He picked it up. It was a poem he had written for his mom when he was younger. I love you, Mom. I think you're cool. I think of you a lot when I'm at school. At the bottom, Evan had drawn a picture of himself giving his mom a flower. He had forgotten that she had kept the poem. He still liked writing poems, but not for her lately. Inventing rhymes was something he enjoyed doing. He was good at it and it often came in handy for entertaining the kids or getting them to do things he needed them to do, like taking a bath or a nap. They were always begging him to make up poems using their names, and in return, they would usually usually comply with his request without too much arguing. That's one little bit. There's um, several incidences in, in the story where he learns a bit of the Baha'i writings and applies it to his work with the kids. There's one place where he's getting his siblings ready to go for a weekend with their dad um, because his mom had 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 a second marriage. He's preparing his little sister who's five and his twin brothers who are three to go with their dad for the weekend. He's been reading a bit of the Baha'i writings and learning some concepts that he starts applying in his life that, that helped him. He learns a quote, a bit of a prayer. Um, Is there any remover of difficulty, save God? And he even teaches it to his little sister. He reads a quote about making peace and letting go of strife in the world. And he applies that to his own family. When his little brothers are fighting, it works in both cases. In, in the case of getting them ready to go with their father, his little sister has a tantrum and climbs under the table. And one of the illustrations is that I did the illustrations also. One of the illustrations is of her sitting under the table and him sitting with her under the table because he decides that he, he wants to work for peace in his family instead of all this arguing and fighting. So instead of just yelling at her to get ready to go, he decides to go under the table with her and find out why she doesn't want to go. And she doesn't want to go because she was invited to somebody else's birthday party and she has to go be with dad this weekend. And just the fact that he decides instead of fighting with her 
to go under the table and just sit with her and talk with her, be on her side a little bit, helps diffuse the situation. And the other thing I was thinking of is when his little brothers are having a, an argument over a train, at that point he himself is taking one of the um, study classes where adults learn how to deal with children and how to teach children's classes. So he applies what he's learned there. There's one of the things that he learns about is that games can help a child learn about the importance of following rules and how rules can keep you safe or things like that. So instead of just yelling at the kids to stop arguing, stop fighting, or hitting them or something that could have happened, he decides to turn it into a game. And so he takes the train that they're fighting over and says, let's hide the train. It's your turn to find the train. And the other boy will close your eyes and count to 10. And so he makes it into a, a fun thing for them, and it solves the problem. And so he's learning about different ideas and how to solve problems, and he actually applies them to help him to raise his siblings, which is a very adult thing to do. And so he's learning about becoming an adult. He wants to improve the situation because he, he's not a, a slacker. He's someone that, that has some pride and just wants to be respected. He wants to become an adult. He wants to be respected. So towards the end of the book, there's a scene where he's actually in church with his mother and they're recalling his father and there's even another place where the father reads a hymnal for Evan had changed the words to a popular hymn, Jesus Loves Me. The father also had the gift of, of um, making up rhymes, which is where Evan gets his talent. And so in this church scene, the mother tells Evan that she's starting to investigate different religions. She's starting to, she has a friend who's Jewish who's invited her to some events, and another friend was invited her somewhere else, and she might be interested in learning about Baha'i, and she says to Evan, what do you think? And he says, my mother is asking me if it's okay for her to investigate different religions. And she says to him, what's taking you so long? Are you really interested in this Baha'i or not? If you are, then that's what you should do. And that, that's why I kind of echo what my father said to me. If I wanted the, the story to be something that anyone could enjoy, whether they're Baha'i or not, it's funny, I did have a, a friend of mine who I hadn't been in touch with in years, someone that I went to high school with, who's not a Baha'i, but as far as I know, never heard of the Baha'i faith, who connected with me on Facebook when I was actually did a Kickstarter project for this, this story and was successful. And she saw it when I was um, putting the information about the Kickstarter project on Facebook, and she went on to Amazon. Dot com and ordered the ebook version of it before it was made into a print version. And she read it and she wrote to me and told me that she thought it was a very good introduction to the Baha'i faith, which is really nice to hear from an old, old friend. And she's an adult reading the story. So, Leona, you said you had other ideas bubbling in your head for future books. <laughs> Anything you want to share with us? Sure. <laughs> One story that I is taking a while, but I have a plan to um, submit it to either One Voice Press or 
the U.S. Baha'i Publishing Trust, but there are other uh, Baha'i Publishing Trusts in the world as well. And this is a story that is uh, for also for middle readers, and it's called, for the time being, the Sidewalk Art Caper, <laughs> and it's based on a, a young girl, maybe about 12 years old, and a group of four or five friends who um, solve magical mysteries. It's uh, fantasy. It takes place in Maine, <laughs> and it's this different thing going on, and these children use some of the Baha'i writings to inspire themselves and to find solutions for these magical mysteries, that, magical crimes, actually, that, that happen. And it, it could be a series, but the, the first one I, I'm in the middle of writing right now is called The Sidewalk Caper, and it's a little boy who has, who's like three, who's the son of a neighbor of the main girl, main character in the book, has been stolen away and hidden inside sidewalk art like chalk or paint on the sidewalk, you know how sometimes artists will there'll be a festival and artists will have actual art created on the sidewalk. This girl meets one of the sidewalk art characters in, in an, a, a painting on the sidewalk, comes to life and tells her there's this child lost in the sidewalk art. You have to help get him out. <laughs> and so then, so it takes place over like a weekend and this girl and her friends consult the writings, and they talk about Abdu'l-Baha, who is the son of the founder of the Baha'i faith, and what he would do in, in this situation to solve the problem. It sounds like a wonderful <laughs> book. Thanks. Yeah. Another one I'm working on is uh, I would probably submit to somewhere other than a, a Baha'i publishing company, and this one is also a fantasy, but I think would be for a little older readers, possibly a young adult novel, and it's called Witch Baby. <laughs> I, I'm writing multiple things at the same time, which is crazy. But that one's about a girl who has been a slave of a witch for six years, and the witch had gone through the kingdom, turning uh, anything in her way into an object. So the kingdom is strewn with all of these enchanted objects <laughs> of different types, and this girl finds a way to almost destroy the witch with the help of an enchanted bowl. <laughs> I don't know how much to say. Um, <laughs> what happens is she tries to destroy the witch with the help of this enchanted bowl who instructs her what to say. Instead of the witch being destroyed, the witch is turned into an infant. And so she, for a lot of different reasons, decides to carry the infant with her as she travels to the countryside, trying to restore uh, items back to their, their true selves, but also to reach the palace where the uh, royal family has also been changed into items and things. And she learned something about herself along the way. And the sticky part is this child, who is the witch, who is a child, starts to grow up very quickly. And so... Uh, <laughs> so you have a, a vivid imagination, Leona. I do. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it sounds like the material for books just is never ending. Well, it's flowing as of late. It's, it's really amazing. Sometimes yeah. when you start applying yourself to, to things that you love, then, then other things pop into place, too. 
a few years ago, I started doing more with my art than illustration. I started cutting silhouettes at festivals, and I started also doing caricatures. And since I've been doing those things, other things that just kind of flowed, you know, the juices flowing, and music too. I'm still doing music. Still yeah. performing with the Salt River, which is a, a folk group, folk blues group that I've been with for about 14, 15 years. We have a, a four CDs available. I have doing a blog. I'm learning about blogging mm-hmm. and learning about more and more and more about the internet and marketing myself as an artist and a musician. What's the name of your blog? In the Works. Where can someone find your blog? I have a website, www.leonahozak.com. If you know my name, then you can find anything, because I'm, I'm there, I'm on the web. I can't believe it, but I'm on the web. <laughs> L-E-O-N-A-H-O-F-A-C-K. So my blog is leonaartmusic.blogspot.com. But you can get that to the website, and you can um, find out more about the books and more about Salt River. The Babysitter Blues is available. I mean, you can get learn about it through um, my website, but you can also order that through onevoicepress.com. And the Kamal's Day and um, William the Numbers We Door can be ordered through bahaibookstore.com. As part of closing the interview, why don't we play one of the songs you provided to us? Which one would you like to select to close with? Babysitter Blues. Because I did the Kickstarter project, I was asked to provide rewards for people that contributed. And so one of the rewards for one of the higher levels of contribution was a song based on some of the poems in the book, some of the little poems. So I wrote a blues song called Babysitter Blues. It's just about Evan's angst <laughs> at having the babysit. That's what it's about. And I play guitar on it, and I sing. And Mike Rogers, who is my partner in Salt River, plays harmonica. And another friend of ours plays bass. Perfect. Okay, well, we'll close <laughs> with Babysitter Blues. And Leona, thank you so much for sharing your story and your work with us. Thank you so much for letting me do this. I appreciate it. You're welcome. My brother's not happy. My brother's so sad. My brother's not happy. My brother's so mad. He has got the babysitter blues. City Blues
enjoyed that interview with Leona Hosack, musician and author of the book Babysitter Blues. I'll be playing more of Leona's music after the close of this program. You can find this interview and other interviews at www.abahaiperspective.com. You can also subscribe to the podcast on iTunes by searching for A Baha'i Perspective. For information specifically on the Baha'i faith, you can go to the website www.baha'i.org or you can call the toll-free number 1-800-22-UNITE. I hope you join me next time on A Baha'i Perspective.
This is WXOJLP Northampton, 103.3 FM, your Valley Free Radio Station, streaming at www.valleyfreeradio.org.